On the show today, Pastor R.A. Vernon informs us that Psalm 51 proves people are born as homosexuals. Today's Christianity.com writes another article about Christian women's sex lives. A man lectures women at the Miss Universe pageant on feminism and President Biden delivers a Sunday sermon. This is some cringy news. Hope we didn't scare you away, but stick around for our assurance of salvation topic so we can end with some feelings of hope. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're so grateful that you are joining us. If you're new here, uh, don't let the name scare you off. We are very religious, very Christian folk, um, but the world and especially the country we find ourselves in is not. Uh, Becoming very secular, very religionless, you could say, and that's part of where the name comes from. So... Uh, again, if you're new here, the goal of this show is to kind of help Christians figure out how to live a life that's pleasing to God in this religionless world. And uh, we hope we can do that today through some of the news stories. And then, of course, through our Bible topic at the end of the episode, uh, talking about assurances of salvation. So before we get to all the news, all the Bible topics, honey, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, we just uh, want to remind everyone to pray uh, for John MacArthur's recovery. Um, we recently learned he had a blockage in some of his arteries and he had surgery to clear them out. So please keep him in your prayers. Yes, please pray for John MacArthur. Uh, you guys know if you've been here for some time, we're very fond of John MacArthur. I attend his seminary and... You know, he still has hopefully many good years ahead of him. I think he's trying to recover so that he's back in time for the Shepherds Conference, which, if you're unfamiliar, very uh, important conference for pastors. It's a pastor's conference, if you will. Pastors training pastors, which is something we sorely need in this country. So pray for John MacArthur that he gets healthy. Also, we've been asking you guys to pray for Connor. Uh, the Mormon fella that I've had the opportunity to sort of have dialogue with, and it's been ongoing. And, you know, I'm just praying that I can crack through some of that Mormon teaching. And I think we're getting there. You know, we're getting a little bit closer. We're getting to the point now where, you know, he's asking me, well, well, what do you think this verse means? You know, so Mm -hmm. we're having an opportunity to, you know, discuss it. And I know I was telling Nikki, you know, back in the day, and even still, you know, I'm, no theologian. Typically, whenever I'm asking somebody, what do you think this verse means? It's typically because I don't know what it means or what I thought it meant. I read it again and went, oh, I'm not sure if that's... So I'm hoping that's uh, where he is at right now. Uh, We were discussing Acts 17, verse 28 and 29, because one of the Mormon beliefs is that we are God's children. Like, physically the offspring offspring of God and not, you know, spiritually adopted. They believe that we are, you know, same thing. They believe Jesus was born of God. They believe Satan was born of God. So they're brothers and we are also offspring just like Jesus and Satan. So 
And Acts 17, verse 28 and 29 is one of the places they go to for that. So trying to help them with a proper understanding of those verses, Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully can open his eyes to a little bit, right? You know, you show him, hey, maybe you're wrong here. You know, you kind of pull that thread and maybe you can unravel a little bit more of it. So that's the hope. Pray for Connor. It's very important to discuss things in love. He is a young guy, so he understands that Spencer's talking with him, not wanting to debate and just be right. So really just pray that, you know, on Spencer's end, that he wouldn't come off. Because through messages, you know, it can be taken with an attitude that wasn't meant. So just pray he receives it, knowing that you are genuine. It was really funny today. I went out to eat with my sister-in-law and... And I go to check my phone because I wanted to keep up on the conversation Spencer's having because we share an account. So I don't get into conversation. I just kind of see. And right as I'm checking the message with this Mormon kid, (laughs) there's like a whole group of Mormon people (laughs) in this restaurant, like the young kids about this kid, Connor's age. There's like six Mormon um, young men. And they're all sitting at one table together. And then there's a bunch of women. And I never see the Mormon women. I never notice. Yeah, they, they're, they're not dressed in like the uniform, the white shirt. And they were dressed, you know, in like long skirts. But they were sat at the table next to them. And I was just like, how weird. Right when I'm going to check this conversation, there's like 10 to 12 of them <laughs> walking by me. I'm like, I've never been around that many, seen that many together before you should have gotten up and just been like <laughs> what does act 17 28 and 29 mean because they, like, they could hear me in kizzy's conversation you know we're talking you know christianity topics and i'm like oh my gosh they're gonna overhear us they're gonna want to come over here and talk with us and oh, i don't i don't know how that's gonna go down like <laughs> i don't know and they did it they didn't come and talk to us which i would have been fine with but i didn't I don't know. They're just young kids and I feel weird approaching them. Like maybe if they were older, right. but that's I feel something like- to consider. And that's what me and Nikki have been talking about is, you know, these Mormon missionaries, they go on their mission, you know, when they're like 20 years old. So trying to keep that in mind that they probably don't know very much about their faith. I mean, try to think of where you were in your faith right. and your understanding of scripture when you were 20. Yeah. Uh, very you know, surface level for most people, unless you were raised properly, but very surface level. So, you know, I'm trying to do that and just pray for me that I don't get snippy or snarky. And, you know, I'm certainly trying not to. So just pray. And then, yeah, just pray that God would open his eyes and um, reveal the truth to him. That's what we're hoping for. So I felt like that was a sign. (laughs) Don't give up praying for him. And yeah, like that was just coincidence. Yeah, it's a good coincidence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, pray for them. But let's uh, get our plugs out of the way here before we dive into the news. You guys know how much we are fond of Cardinal Contingency contingency Solutions, and we highly recommend that you reach out to them, talk to them. If you have missionaries uh, getting ready to go out on the road, if you um, do any sort of pre-mission training, They would be a great asset for you to sort of prepare for, you know, the worst of situations. How do you 
keep yourselves from getting in harm. If you're getting getting in harm, how can you get out of harm? You know, who's there to help you? What assets are available? All that sort of stuff. The best in the world at it. So I highly encourage that. As well, you guys know that we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. Ooh, if my mouse will work here, I will show you. We are proud members of the Christian podcast community. If you're watching on YouTube, um, if not, you listen on the podcast, you're just going to have to go to christianpodcastcommunity.org yourself and go check out the 50 to 60 good Christian sort of indie podcasters. You know, you're not going to get NPR and Joe Rogan shoved in your face. It's going to be good godly men and women talking about godly things. So go give them a look and a listen. Subscribe if you are so inclined. All right. Is everyone ready? I'm ready. You taking your Tums, <laughs> drank your Pepto-Bismol. Um, all right. Gird up oh. your loins. But in fact, today I would say girding up your loins is not enough. Not enough for today's episode. You do need a Tums. <laughs> You're going to need a Tums. You're going to need the full armor of God today. Uh, put it all on, you know, because we're not only walking through the valley of the shadow of death like we normally do. We're heading into Satan's bathhouse here, um, <laughs> his burlesque show. So we do want to ease you into it. We don't want to just, you know, cannonball into it. So we're just going to quickly mention the first couple stories that Nikki talked about, but we're going to focus the majority of this episode on President Biden and the Mr. Miss Universe article. So do you want to just read that headline again? And we'll discuss this briefly. All right. Citing Psalm 51, prominent pastor R.A. Vernon claims scripture proves some gay people are born that way. Yep. Pastor R.A. Vernon, never heard of the man, um, but apparently he is a uh, pastor of a very large church. And he points to Psalm 51, verse 5, which verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, though when he referenced it in the article, he was using the New Living Translation, which, you know, don't use a New Living Translation. Uh, just kidding. I'm an ESV man myself, so. Uh, but his version says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So referencing that verse, he says on his podcast, as the largest predominantly African-American church in Cleveland, um, and then it says he, ha he also has more lesbians, gay brothers and sisters, and queer Christians who attend here. Hmm. Um, and he says in his podcast that you can be saved and gay, but he never mentions, at least not in this article, if you can stay in that lifestyle and be right, saved. Right. Uh, but, you know, he is right, I would say, that we're all born sinners, of course. That's, mm -hmm. uh, I think, pretty orthodox understanding. But again, what I don't think he points out in here, and I'd be interesting, interested to know if he did, but he doesn't mention, you know, that we're born in sin, but Christ calls us out of that sin. Out of it, yeah. And if Christ does it, then so should a pastor. Yes. So that's my big take on R.A. Uh, Vernon. Yeah, like he's really close to the truth, but you, you can't leave out the rest of it. 
So he's not like saying a lie. He's just not finishing the rest of the gospel, you know? Right. And I would just assume, you know, if he's saying I got a bunch of, you know, gay brothers and sisters, lesbians and queer folk that are in my church, it makes me fearful that he's not actually calling them out of that lifestyle. So hopefully, I mean, he's writing that like, we are all born sinners. I mean, when you're born, you're a little kid, you don't know that you, I don't think, I, I disagree that someone's just gay, like they know, like at a young, young age, but I don't know. Some have different sins and they struggle with them and we're all born with the same sin nature. So we're all born with the ability to sin in this particular area, you know, but I wouldn't say I was born this because I'm born with this, the same sin nature. I don't know. It's like, you don't want to tell people. I don't want to say, yeah, you're, you're born that way. Like you just need to say we're all born sinners and we all have a tendency to sin in different areas from other people. And we need to be set free from it. So we can't just say this one is special and you get to stay in that one because it's your identity. I know we've talked about all this before. That's the whole identity thing. So you're, Jesus died to set you free from the bondage of, of sin, not just so you can go to heaven. Like that's why you have the Holy Spirit in you um, to convict you of sin so right. that you will turn away from it and the door's open. You can walk out. You're set free. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. Like he finishes the work he began. So. Right. So again, not sure if that's where he's going with that, but uh, my hope is that is where he's going. Um, yeah. You can be born however you want. Uh, any sin that, you know, grips you, but Christ calls you out of that sinful lifestyle. That is sanctification. So yep. that needs to be taught. Needs to be taught. Uh, and the next story here that we just want to touch on briefly is from today's Christianity, or as Nikki mentioned, Christianity Today. It is Christianity Today. That's the legitimate website. <laughs> they should call it today's Christianity. Uh, progressive Christian outlet, as far as I'm concerned, yes. but still very popular. So if you want to read this headline. More evangelical women are leading conversations on sex. Yeah. Like we uh, need more. <laughs> Right. You know, I don't know how frequently any of you guys uh, go to Christianity today or check out their website or, you know, follow them anywhere, but they post these articles a lot, it seems like. And when I saw this, my thought was, can we quit posting these articles? Because I don't think Christians need to be openly talking and sharing about our sex lives in public. Yeah. You know, at most, I would say this is a local church teaching. But openly discussing sex and like sex related issues, it doesn't just become righteous and acceptable because we slap Christian in front of it. Right. You know, there is no Christian penthouse letters. It's just sinful, lustful, and shameful. And it doesn't need to be discussed as openly as it is and often as it is on today's Christianity. It is something I think should stay private. I know I was wondering what you were going to discuss because I didn't like talk with you about why, like, what, why are we talking about this article? I was like, where is he going with this? So I'm just glad that that's your response about it, that it's just, why, why are we getting more of this? So I'm like, no, it's there's a very nothing to discuss. <laughs> secular mindset, I think, where it's like, yeah. 
oh, we have to be constantly discussing our sex life so that as Christians, our sex life's going to be the best ever. No, you don't. Your best no. life now, it just, you don't have it just to rolls be into that. This. You don't have to have, you know, your sex life define your marriage like you're some yeah. 20-something, you know, shacked up Manhattan couple. No, you're married. You'll figure it out. <laughs> Trust in God, love the Lord, and love each other. You'll figure it out. You don't need yeah. a whole lot of articles and discussions on it, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So it's weird. Quit writing that. It's just, yeah, it's odd. I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. So we just want to address those stories quickly um, because I think they're worth addressing. You know, we want to make sure that we're, our pastors are preaching about sanctification and, you know, things like sex issues and stuff like that need to be t discussed, just maybe not openly in public. So, right. uh, but really, we just want to focus on these two main articles. Uh, the President Biden and the Miss Universe, Mr. Universe article. And uh, again, still easing you guys into it. So we want to start with the least offensive story first, which means we're going to be discussing the Mr. Universe uh, story. So if you want to just read this headline. Um, Miss Universe pageants trans owner delivers powerful speech. <laughs> All right. And I'm not going to pronounce that name. I will take it says Anne, and there's a first and a last name that I can't pronounce, uh, became the first woman to own the contest in October after purchasing it for $20 million. Yep. So, you know, first off, why would anybody continue to send their children to these pageants is beyond me. Um, but this is still the world we live in. Uh, and secondly, like Nikki mentioned, the owner of the Miss Universe pageant is a man named Ann. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. So we listened to this clip here. It's two and a half or about two minutes and 13 seconds long. It'll be linked down in the show notes. You can go give it a listen. If you know, I don't know, you've been having a peaceful day and you just need to get your blood pressure rising, go give it a listen. Uh, but we're just going to play one clip from it. And then we're just going to sort of discuss the other sections of the clip for you. Uh, this is a benefit to you uh, so that you don't, in fact, actually have to go and listen to it unless you are just, you know, a, you, know you love pain and punishment. But I selflessly watched this for you. Um, I it's not the watching. stared into the bowels the of voice. hell uh, <laughs> and watched Hell's Slam Poetry Night if you will, for you guys so that you don't have to because Nikki and I love you. So that's why we did this. So we're just going to play the beginning of this clip and just know that it doesn't get any better going forward. It has been 70 years that Miss Universe organization ran by men. But now, Tom is up. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a short clip. She says, he says, he, sorry, I'm going to get slipped up here. Be right. He says, for 70 years, Miss Universe pageant has been run by men, but their time is up. He's a man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is psychosis. This is uh, lunacy. But what's more maddening about it, and all throughout his talk, the, or the crowd 
just seals in the crowd, just clapping and cheering the whole time. And I've heard other people mention it. I think it's a good point that the people are the problem Mm -hmm. because they just swallow it and they just love it. And how do you combat psychosis when the whole world just wants to live in this sort of delirium? So it is weird. It's like a, they're entertained by it, whether it's right or wrong. It's entertaining. I think, I think that's why they like it. Cause it's because it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, but I think maybe part of it too is like, if this guy is allowed to just do whatever he wants, even if I don't want to be transgendered, this also gives me the freedom to do whatever I want. But if I put restrictions on him, that means there's restrictions probably going to be put on me. So just for my own self-preservation, let's let everybody do whatever they want so that I can do whatever I want. I think, I don't know, maybe that's something to it. Or they're all just nuts and demon-possessed. This is the thing. This is why this is the news that's um, not as offensive as the one we're doing after this because this isn't going on in the church, but you know, it's not someone speaking well, in a church. Yes. This isn't speaking it though. I mean, if you go but to there your is much neighborhood <laughs> Episcopal church, they might have someone that's, that's dressed true. up like Anne. That's why I was thinking, well, this is pretty offensive, but is it less offensive because this is the world's um, entertainment? Like yeah, whatever it's less they offensive can it's the do what they want. Like Christians should not put their daughters in a pageant. It's weird. You don't want people gawking right. at your daughter. You should not have your daughter in a beauty pageant. Right. That's as a Christian, I don't think you should be doing that. They shouldn't have people idolizing and, you know, fawning all over her because of simply her beauty. Uh, that right. only so, stokes the ego and the pride. So So we're to judge those in the church. We're just saying, this is the world. This is what they love. But the other article has to do with church. But this does have ramifications for the church, because um, as we'll go through these clips here, he speaks about feminism. And there are those in the church who still promote feminism. And this is a perfect example, this man named Anne, of where feminism leads to ultimately. Yeah. So that's why we're highlighting it here. Yes. Not just for our own disgust. Because it is, yeah, it's it's affected all of us. So we're just going to read through some of the um, timestamps and what he says, and then just comment on it as we go throughout. So uh, right after this, basically at 15 seconds in, he says, uh, he says that it is the moment for women to take the lead. <laughs> so think of the irony here. The male owner of Miss Universe is telling them that it's time for women to take the lead. And everybody claps and cheers as the man tells them that. Like, and this is why I say it's a psychosis. <laughs> think how ludicrous that is. A man playing dress up is telling them it's time for women to lead. And they're like, yeah. So this is the wolf in sheep's clothing. Just but revealing that he's the wolf and they love it and they think it's good. Yeah. I mean, this is the <laughs> secular world's version of a wolf in sheep's clothing. We'll get to the religious world's wolf in sheep clothing. when We get to our next article, but I'll go on. Um, again, he goes in here and he says, 
and this is all in rapid succession. This is a two minute clip. So these are all jam packed. It's he says, all super crazy. Welcome to the global women's empowerment platform. <laughs> Again, the male owner of Miss Universe. Uh, and then he continues. He says, from now on, it's going to be ran by women, owned by trans women for all women. And I think that subtle distinction is very important. You know, he kind of makes the point there subtly, it will be worked by women, but it will be owned by men, Yep, is what he said. Because a trans woman is a dude. And so in a weird twist of irony, he actually <laughs> makes a lot of sense here. Because mm -hmm. men were created by God to be leaders. And even here, in a world of, you know, pageantry is lipstick surgically sculpted bodies and high heels it's the man amongst them <laughs> that is leading them <laughs> and i don't know if these clapping seals <sighs> i say that lovably love lovably uh i don't know if they understand the irony as they clap and cheer but it was not lost on me so the man is still in charge but we'll go on 42 seconds in says, for women all around the world to celebrate the power of feminism. That's why he's up there lecturing them. And I thought, boy, he could not have been more honest here. Because this is the power of feminism. The power of feminism is the death of femininity and womanhood. Mm -hmm. You know, the power of feminism, as perfectly displayed by Mr. Miss Universe, is a man playing dress up lecturing women on feminism <laughs> it's it's a psychosis and not just for the dude in a dress but for the people in the crowd that are loving this and cheering it on yeah this dude's taking away our femininity and lecturing us on being women Woo! and they're just clapping it. and the one guy during this speech yells out like i love you <laughs> what you're nuts and this is what sin and I guess demonic influence in your mind leads you to. But I think, again, a bit of honesty here. This is what feminism leads to. The death of femininity and women or womanhood. Yep. He goes on. He says, diverse cultures, social inclusion, gender equality, creativity, a force for good and the course and of course, the beauty of humanity. And that's what he believes Miss Universe is going to promote going forward. So Miss Universe, as explained by the man in a dress, is going to be about gender equality. Wow. The Miss Universe pageant. So how can it be about gender equality if trans women are women and the organization is going to be run by women, he said? How can it be about gender equality? Well... It can be um, simply because trans women are men playing dress up. <laughs> so if you're a man playing dress up, you still have gender equality because you're still a man. Uh, so again, this organization all about feminism and advancing women is going to be owned by a man and most likely allow men in pretty dresses to compete. And I would guess going forward, more often than not, win these pageants. Uh, yep, everything that's about women, men are gonna lead it. 
I mean, you we know? saw this just over the summer, all the women, the pro sports women and clapping and applauding as Will Thomas was diving into a pool and just smashing records and beating the snot out of girls in a pool that they had worked their whole lives to get to this college level. And they just let a dude slap on a one piece and jump in the pool and crush them. And they're like, this is great for women. No, it's terrible for women. And so is a man owning Miss Universe. Pretending. Pretending. To be. Just playing dress up. So. Yeah, it stood out to me how he says, all this is the beauty of humanity. Like talking about um, the power of, what was he saying here? Equality. Oh, yeah. Diverse cultures, social inclusion, gender equality, creativity, force for good, and of course, the beauty of humanity. So I'm just saying the beauty of humanity is really how sinful and twisted it can get. Like, that's beautiful. I think, yeah, I mean, this is, look at how beautiful our depravity is. Look at how beautiful we are as we all wallow in this mud pit together. All the pigs are beautiful. <laughs> like is basically what he's highlighting craziness, but it didn't stop there. Oh no. He goes on. <laughs> he says, when he was born, and this is a quote, when I was born as a trans woman, end quote. <laughs> so, so he was a boy in the womb, but when he was born, he was born as a girl. <laughs> Apparently, he was born as a fully transitioned man to woman somehow. Anybody oh. want to explain to me how it's possibly born as a trans woman? Uh, please feel free to leave it in the comments. I'd be happy to listen to you. So transitioned really quick right at the end. Transitioned in the mother's womb <laughs> as God knit me together in my mother's womb incorrectly. And then Satan transitioned me before I came out. Uh, but he went on again, not done yet. He says that. He was not accepted in society because they did not want to accept his differences. And here's where maybe I can sound harsh, not meaning to necessarily, but they were right to not want to accept it. And I don't want to accept it. I don't want to accept his differences. I want him to repent and I want him to turn to the Lord mm -hmm. and quit perverting the minds of the clapping seals and the children in the audience. Yeah, you're not a victim. This is the whole victim mentality. Yeah, like I don't want the man to die and suffer torment and torture. I want him to give up his life of sin and depravity and turn to Christ and give his yeah. life over. But, yep. you know, this is sort of that lie of feminism. And it's in some respects, right, that men and women are essentially the same. And this outright denies a biblical understanding of how God created men how God created men and women and mm -hmm. really the roles that God prescribed to both men and women. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why men standing on a stage in pretty dresses at a woman's pa uh, pageant in lecturing women really has to be accepted because if you push back anywhere, then the whole mm -hmm. house of cards comes tumbling down. Right. Yeah. You know, so instead of pushing back on this level of absurdity, the crowd, they're just going to swallow this bile um, because most of them have to, I would assume, have to realize that this is pure insanity. 
Um, because again, if they don't understand the insanity of this, we've got a whole nother set of issues. We got to start questioning, but you know, if men, at least in my mind, the rationale is like, if men can't be women, well, why can't they be women? Well, if they're born different, what are those differences? Why were they born different? Who decided we should be born different? And then you get that far, you go, holy cow, we're back at God. And you can't go down that rabbit trail. So you have to just accept it at every insane level because it's easier to just shut your brain off and clap for the dude in lipstick than to ponder, wait, we are different. Why are we different? Why were we made different? Oh my goodness, we're talking about God again. So just turn your brain off, clap for the dude in a dress. Life's just easier that way. It's crazy. We're a society that hates to ponder the deep things. I know. I feel like. just turn on Netflix, drink a bottle of wine, pass out, go to work for 10 hours, and then rinse and repeat. And then never have to think about anything deep. Um, But I read this article from this lady, Sue Bolin. It'll be linked down in the show notes. You can go check it out. I encourage you. And... It's titled 10 Lies of Feminism. And I just pulled a quote here from one of the one of these. She says, the truth is that God created significant differences between males and females. We can see evidence evidence of this in the fact that scripture gives different commands for husbands and wives, which are rooted in the differing needs and divinely appointed roles of men and women. So, I mean, you know, she's obviously speaking, you can go to a lot of places in scripture, but Ephesians 5, verse 25 and 29 talks about how husbands are to treat wives and Mm -hmm. wives are to treat uh, husbands. There's an order, the authority, like men are protectors. It's just obvious, like who, (laughs) I don't know. It's just good to have that order. Whether you acknowledge it came from from God or not, like, you know that that's right. Yeah. You, you're denying it. You're That's why you're it's easier foolish. to never think about it. If I don't have to think about it, then I never have to come to the understanding that, yeah, I agree with it too. But yeah, the I whole equality it, thing is like, I don't need him. I can be my own God. I can take care of myself. It's just pride. Hey, I can go and sit at a cubicle for 12 hours a day making trinkets too. Oh, yeah. What a wonderful life we both have quality in the workforce. We, <laughs> so, we need more women lumberjacks. <laughs> you know what I want? I want a man in a dress to run my beauty pageant and tell me what it means to be a beautiful woman. Sure. Sake of equality. So, you know, <sighs> just kind of my mindset, you know, because saying that feminism has killed femininity and womanhood, I think it, to me, it makes sense, right? You know, you start from the beginning, women deserve rights. Like, sure, it makes sense. Women deserve equal rights with men. You're like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? And then it's women are equal to men. And you're like, well, that make a lot of sense. What are you talking about? And then it's there is no distinction between women and men other than what culture has imposed on them. You're like, I think we're getting a little bit loose there. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And now women have succeeded their roles to men who do it better and they're becoming less relevant. What a wonderful uh, outcome from feminism, right? Feminism is the death of women. Yeah. I like that you put it that way. It's easy to see uh, the slow process and how 
people just accept little bits at a time. That looks like that was the plan. Well, I'm sure it was a plan. Yeah. Satan's plan. Yeah. Feminism is ultimately oppression through telling women that they are oppressed. That's pretty crafty. Yeah. It really, it really is. It's kind of yeah, like. Imagine like you're at home, your <laughs> husband's working hard, providing a great life for you. You're training your kids. You're spending time. You're going on, you know, vacations, take care of your house. And they're like, you are so oppressed. You're like, what? I am? Yeah. You need to go and get a job at the factory where you're going to get paid, you know, not great wages. You're going to work yourself to death to climb the corporate ladder you're going to give all your money to another woman to raise your child. Boy, that sounds like freedom. What what a I lovely know. life that sounds oh like. Oh my gosh. You're mad. How do we get back to the way it should be? It's and I was wild. just thinking how absurd it is to argue that culture has imposed gender roles on men and women like how could you prove it's the culture? Because how could the same gender roles be applied in every country all over the world like maybe it's just natural and god designed it that way but that's just unacceptable you're not allowed to ask those questions you're not allowed to ask about god like how can you blame it on culture that's the thing can't because it's everywhere that's the order every culture is wrong except for dudes and dresses (sighs) that's the right culture so um all right do you have any last thoughts on Mr. Universe? Um, yeah, we can move on. Of course, we can talk about, yeah, we All can right. talk about it, but yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> that won't be the last time we discuss it, but as hideous and disgusting as that topic was, our next story is worse. Uh, it is worse. So do you want to read this headline? Uh, Biden speaks at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Yep. President Biden speaking at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And this wasn't just speaking at Ebenezer. This was Ebenezer's Sunday morning service. And their current pastor makes this point twice, at least uh, in the speech, from what I remember. You know, he clearly says when the clip opens that... uh, Joe Biden is there uh, in his pulpit to preach, is what he says. Uh, You know, Joe Biden, who claims to be a practicing Catholic, is there to preach in his Protestant church pulpit. So uh, we're just going to, again, play one clip here from this. And then just like we did with the last story, just talk about what's in this clip, you know, and make our references to it as we go throughout. Let me see. We'll pull this up and then we'll get to the individual topics. So glad that you're here. Many have come to the pulpit of Ebenezer Church. We've had presidents before. President Jimmy Carter has stood in this pulpit. President George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. But this is the first president, the first sitting president, to deliver the sermon on a Sunday morning. So, yeah, like he says, this is the first sitting president, and as he mentions there, to deliver the sermon on a Sunday morning. 
And just as a uh, note there, he mentioned that not the first president, Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Bill Clinton have delivered talks, sermons from that pulpit. Uh, I looked up when Bill mm. Clinton had been there to give a sermon. You know, Bill Clinton, the noted pervert, sexual predator. And uh, 1996 is when he went there. Now, if you're familiar with Bill Clinton's history, 1996 is when he was right in the middle of sleeping with and lying about Monica Lewinsky. None of that had come out yet. That didn't come out, I don't think, until 97 or 98. But Bill Clinton had had sexual assault allegations against him dating back to 1968. So this church feels more than comfortable to let, you know, serially accused sexual predators have their pulpit so long as they're famous enough as a sitting president. Boy, doesn't that sound like a sound biblical church. I know. Weren't they there to hear the word of God? No. I, I mean, their pastor is a pro-life, pro-LGBT, or pro-choice, pro-LGBT Oh, that's right. Uh, they weren't expecting so, that anyway. <laughs> no, they're expecting to hear Democrat politics, I would assume, uh, cloaked in spirituality. So they feel good about it. But hmm. uh, so just going through this, you know, again, he makes it clear Biden is there to deliver a sermon, a devout hmm. Catholic, he claims. Um, he goes on early on shilling about the pl uh, president's political resume. But not, one, one thing he doesn't mention at all during that shilling is anything about his, you know, spiritual bones, his spiritual growth or his commitment to the church. Mm. It's all about what kind of a great politician this man is. Right. Because um, I would imagine if you're trying to dig down deep to find Joe Biden's spiritual, you know, Christian resume, probably pretty slim pickings there. Because what does saying a devout Catholic even mean? Right. And that's something he says, Joe Biden is a devout Catholic. And my question would be, what evidence do we have for that? Other than he says it, do we have any actual evidence of his devout Catholic um, nature? Is it that his ardent defense and activism towards murdering children in the womb? <laughs> no. Maybe. I don't know. So <sighs> These are the same on. people who would be at that pageant. Clapping. Oh, I'm sure. He's probably going to invite that guy to the White House soon. <laughs> um, so some of this stuff is ridiculous. Some of it's just comical as we go through here. We'll just try to point these out. So he starts out, uh, President Biden, by giving what I can only assume is a lie in every facet of it. No way of knowing for certain, just judging a tree by its fruit. He says in there, he claims that every day of high school and college, he went to the 730 mass. Uh, so every single day, a 15 to 22 year old young man went to mass at 730 in the morning. I don't know that that's a lie. Just seems unlikely. But the worst part is he says he went to the 730 mass and this was before he went to the black church. So he tells the crowd there. This was before he went to the black church. What black church? I don't know. He didn't name it. It was just no name. The black church. Uh, so Joe Biden, wow. the man who went to church twice a day, Catholic mass in the black church. 
every day. So yeah, that's sure. kind of weird. All right. Who didn't do that growing up, right? As 15 to 22 year old young men. I was always told like, not a name for a church, but I remember hearing people say, oh, you got to go to a black church. You got to just see how they worship. It's so lively. And I don't ever remember people saying a name. They would just say, you got to go to So maybe that's the way they addressed it, you know? It might be. That's what I was thinking. I know I went to a mostly black church when I lived in Little Rock. I think we went there once or twice, but I think it was an Assemblies of God church. It was like Assemblies of God of Little Rock. So when I told people the church I went to, I didn't say, oh, I go to that black church on the corner. I went, I go to Assemblies. Was that big church? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know, maybe people just call every church that black people attend the black (laughs) church. But I feel like if you're in Atlanta (laughs) and you go to Ebenezer Baptist, you go, I go to Ebenezer. Oh, wow. That's Martin Luther King Jr.'s church, right? They don't just go, I go to the black church. Which one? (laughs) Doesn't matter. So it's just funny, I know we had a lot of them in our hometown growing up, so it's kind of funny to say that still because it would be like, which one? Yeah, just kind of funny. So uh, he follows up that statement there, um, which again, I assuming our lies with, with what I can only assume is a, at best, a gross exaggeration. <laughs> he says that, you know, during his time, he made, he said something to the fact we're claiming he took on apartheid in South Africa. Uh, Baby, what is that? It was basically the, the blacks fighting for their freedom in South Africa and their rights in South Africa during like, I don't know if it was like the eighties or nineties, like Nelson Mandela was kind of a hero of the apartheid era. So maybe he did something. I mean, he was in the Senate for a thousand years. So maybe he did something to help them with Mm -hmm. legislation, but I think claiming you took on apartheid in South Africa is a bold claim unless you were actually there fighting it. So I have no way to verify. Well, I guess I could verify, but I didn't feel like doing the work. So he either was or he wasn't. Who knows? Um, An interesting thing happened during this. If you're watching it, Nikki noticed the same thing. You know, everybody there is talking and uh, singing. They do like 10 minutes of singing before he gets up to speak. And they're all just sitting there. But at about 14 minutes and 30 seconds into his speech, everybody behind him, like in sync, starts putting their face mask on. You know, they all masked up behind him. He'd already been into his speech. They'd been sitting there for 20 to 30 minutes. But it was like, they must have got a hand signal or something from somebody that was like, you need to put your mask on. Because they were right behind him, yeah. Very strange. So even though the people right behind him in their seats didn't put the mask on, but all the schlubs in the choir apparently had to wear their mask. Uh, But, you know, Senator Reverend Dr. Ralph Warnock didn't have to. So very strange, just weird little thing that popped up. Uh, A funny thing that happened. I'm sure he was trying to be sincere and, uh, you know, give honor to Martin Luther King Jr.'s sister, who I guess she might have been there or she was there previously. But he sort of unnecessarily throws his own sister under the bus. He makes a claim that, you know, every basically good man needs a good sister. And then he makes the claim that his sister isn't the quality of sister that Martin Luther King Jr.'s sister was. Why would you throw your own sister under the bus? Why not say, 
I benefited from a great sister just like Martin Luther King Jr. But instead he makes this weird claim that his sister, eh, she was all right. She was all right. She wasn't Martin Luther King Jr.'s sister, though. She was a real sister. Very funny, like, way of trying to garner favor with the crowd by just trashing your own family. Um, (laughs) Very funny. Well, he did kind of say some stuff that she did do after saying that. Maybe, but either way, just funny. So uh, about five to six minutes in, he really starts kind of doing just some political shilling, you know, and it kind of continues on throughout the speech. At 19 minutes and 36 seconds in, if you want to watch this, it's very weird and creepy because we know who President Biden is. Yeah. But at 19 minutes and 36 seconds, he sort of pauses and looks in the crowd and he makes a weird request of what I'm only assuming is a girl in the crowd because he calls her honey and asks if he can have a picture with her when it's over, when he's finished. Maybe he's like, like a little kid, because if it was someone maybe. like that interrupted or caught his But he's just attention. talking and then he pauses and he's like, Honey, you know, maybe I can have a picture with you when this is over. And you're like, Like it's just like, weird. Snap back into it, Joe. What is yeah, going on here? He was like drawn away. But I mean, creepy. when you know all the pictures of him yeah. sniffing kids' hair, <laughs> weird hand placements, all that stuff, and you hear him do that, you're like, yikes. Uh, creepy. Run, so child. don't know the reason for that. Definitely yeah, odd. That was odd. Um, he makes a note in there that he's God fearing, and he tries to walk his faith. And this is a point that we've made throughout this uh, podcast, and I think it's worth making again here. I would agree, not that he's God fearing, but that he walks his faith. Because yeah. I think for so many in the Democrat Party, this modern iteration of it that's largely satanic uh, democrat globalist politics is their faith yeah so when they say they're walking their faith out sure they are they're walking out this secular globalist you know anti-christ politics really and that's their faith so i would say in that respect yeah he's walking it out just like you know the rest of the democrats in the house and the senate and you know these crazy, you know, blue haired transgendered teachers that want to, you know, train your kids to be perverts. Yeah, they're walking out their faith just the same. I don't think it's any different. So might have been a little bit truthful there. Although the God-fearing part, I would not give him any credit for. Nope. Whatever God he fears isn't our God. Yeah. I mean, maybe he fears the God of, you know, racial idolatry, which was probably all over in that church. Yeah. You know? So who knows, but he makes a note in there going through that he has two political heroes and he started out, he says, as a 22 year old kid in the east side of the civil rights movement. The east side? So where is the east side of the civil rights movement? I'm curious. (laughs) Were they clearly defined lines? Oh, you were from the West Coast civil rights movement side? I was from the East Coast side. You know, just the East side of the civil rights movement. And then, of course, he goes on to say that his two political uh, idols were Bobby Kennedy and, uh, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. Who else was it going to be? And then, really, from that point on, it was almost just all political shilling. Um, He sort of 
spends a lot of his time kind of race baiting, I would say, the black congregants of the church, uh, really trying to stoke fear into them, you know, with this notion that he kind of repeated that our democracy is unsettled for them. You know, they still haven't somehow found their place, you know, so he's race baiting, stoking fear of them, which I think is shameful from the pulpit. Um, Right. And then he makes the point as he's going through, he's talking about these things that are important. And he talks about basically all political items that are the vital questions of our time. He essentially makes the case that politics is the vital question of our time. Politics for black people, not faith, not family, nothing. It's politics is the vital question of our time. And again, when your mm-hmm. faith is politics, then maybe that just makes sense to you. But yeah, not are we going to turn back to God? Are we going to fear the Lord? Right. Are we going to, um, you know, let go of our pride and all these sorts? Of, no, it's it's but political issues. Even if your right these to vote. things were true, that he's saying that there's racial inequality from the pulpit, you would have to say. You'd have to teach them to love their enemies, um, you know, walk in love, um, fear God, don't fear men. Like, what kind of a message, if that was all true, would they, should they be getting? You know, that would be the message. Well, again, when you have no business being in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, you don't know how to give that message. You just create more division instead of you're just you a know politician. and letting them know they're victims. So, yeah, weird to say, but he goes <clears throat> on from there and he said, and again, speaking to the idea of being a politician and not a preacher and having no business to be in the pulpit, he says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself." And he says. And in that commandment lies the essence of the gospel, which I think sounds good when you're in a church that sounds right, but that is not the essence of the gospel. Uh, I believe Jesus even tells us that that's the essence of the law and the prophets. That sums up the law and the prophets is, I believe, what Jesus says there. Um, The essence of the gospel is Christ died for you. He lived the perfect life, died the sinner's death that you deserve, and he gives us our righteousness. That's the essence of the gospel. That's the free gift of salvation. The free gift of salvation is not love your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. That's the law and the prophets. And we're still commanded to do that, but the essence of the gospel is imputation. Christ giving us his righteousness and taking our sins away. You don't want to talk about sin. It's just interesting. But again, (laughs) when you have someone who knows of Christianity, but isn't really qualified to speak on this stuff, then I think you say things like that and other people go, yep, that's the essence of the gospel. Did they clap at that Loving your neighbor? Because they clapped a lot. Oh, I'm sure they clapped about it. But again, it's a subtle distinction because that commandment stands for us and Christ did teach it. But when you're sharing the good news with somebody, you're not going, 
Let me tell you how you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you can love your neighbor as yourself. That's the good news. I go, what, is, what does that mean? That's good news. No, Christ died for you. You're on your way to hell, and he gave you a free way out. That's the good news. That's the essence of the gospel. So, um, yeah. One of the funnier clips, I actually belly laughed and had to watch this a couple times <laughs> after this. He tries to give an inspirational quote um, about going from segregation to the Supreme Court in one generation. It probably was meant to be super inspirational. But when he tries to tell us who said the quote, he completely butchers the name of Kintaji Brown Jackson, the Supreme Court Justice. He stumbles over it like three or four times before he can get out Kintaji, like drown Jackson or something. It's so cringeworthy. Oh, I but they clapped all the same. <laughs> um, it's, I don't remember. Well, yeah, let me see if I can play it for you guys. Give me just a second. And hearing these words, and I quote, it took just one generation from segregation to the Supreme Court of the United States, end of quote. Those are the words of Kajan, Kajan, Katanji Drown Jackson. <laughs> oh, man. It's like the least inspirational thing you could have said. Just Katanji Drown Jackson. <laughs> just kind of comical. Uh, not to take a stab at him. Uh, just I mean, uh, pretty funny. To- it is a hard name. Ken sure it is. Taji, yeah. But, you know, that was supposed to be one of those punchlines, right? One generation <laughs> from segregation to the Supreme Court. Do you know who said that? Our first black Supreme Court female. Kentanji Drown Jackson. Loses a lot of its punch there, I think. So just kind of funny. Uh but then also in a odd way of trying to give props to Kentaji Brown Jackson, he insults or even claims that at the time he insulted, he says at the time, like when he met her, apparently he told the people around him that she was smarter than them. <laughs> why? I don't know why he feels compelled to insult other people to make other people feel good. Yeah, that's he weird. You could have just easily been like, Wow, that's a brilliant woman. Man, are we lucky to have her as a Supreme Court justice. But instead going, you guys all look like dumb idiots around Kanjanji. (laughs) (laughs) Like pot calling the kettle black, huh? Uh, Just pretty funny. Apparently that's his thing, right? To just insult other people to make other people feel good. I don't know. Pretty funny. Um, But he goes on in there. What else did he say that's worth mentioning? Um, oh, he did mention that he ran for president for three reasons to restore the soul of America, rebuild the country from the bottom up in the middle out. And he wanted to unite it. That was his three core principles. So how do you suppose he's doing on those three things? Huh? I would say poorly. So unite by dividing. There's other things we could point out in here, but just to kind of wrap this up, you know, the reason that we highlight this, you know, it's funny. We're making a little bit of joke about it, but this is serious. I would say, you know, when you allow a president or a celebrity to your pulpit in your congregation, anytime that's serious, Mm -hmm. but on a Sunday morning, I really think you disgrace your pulpit. And this has been happening a lot lately. You know, president Biden here, 
There was another story from earlier in January where I think it was uh, Salem Baptist Church in Chicago. They allowed uh, Lori Lightfoot, who was a lesbian mayor of Chicago, they allowed her to get up in the pulpit. Uh, We remember months ago when Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, was standing in the pulpit talking about getting vaccinated. They allowed her to preach vaccination as an idol to their congregation. And this goes both ways. I mean, there was the uh, First Baptist Dallas. They allowed Donald Trump to come and deliver a Christmas service at their church. None of these people are qualified to stand in your pulpit right. and deliver a sermon. Right. This is the word of God. And he said in the beginning, it's like intimidating because to be there. It ought to be intimidating. And it's not intimidating. You ought to have been struck dead by God right. I was for like, he might be meaning because of who preached there before, but I'm like, right, no, you're was. in the house of God, supposedly, if you want to call that a house of God. But like, that's why it's intimidating. Yeah. And I think... <laughs> That's our point for this is this needs to stop this idea of allowing politicians and celebrities because they're well known your pulpit that has got to stop. Like yeah. Nikki said, we've got to start taking the word of God seriously, taking the position of pastor seriously. You're not just a celebrity, you know, you're not just well, a guest and speaker sadly, in our country. We yeah. are just trying to get butts and seats, but it should not be about that. You're standing up in front of supposedly God's people delivering his prophetically delivered word to them. You're his, you know, essentially his voice to the people. And you're just like, ah, who's that famous guy? He says he's a devout Catholic. We have no evidence of that. He's got a litany of sexual assault allegations against him. He's done tons of stuff. He promotes abortion. Give him the pulpit. When? Tuesday afternoon at a town hall? Sunday morning, baby. Let him get in there. What would you do if the church we were going to had, you know, someone speaking that, you know, a celebrity pastor you knew wasn't fit? Would you get up? Would you walk out? Yes. You, well, Uh, yes. Would you sit there and listen or would you make a stand immediately and walk out? And this, well, I would like to think I would make a stand. And again, we like Donald Trump. If he came to my church and they said, Donald Trump is going to deliver you a Christmas service, I'd be like, you're out of your mind he is. Where is our pastor? And why don't we start looking for a new pastor? Because <laughs> he <laughs> thought this was a good idea. You know, and maybe, again, years ago, I might not have thought anything of this. But, man, we're in a new era. Sin abounds. Like, if there aren't men of God that are taking their position serious. And the thing is, the qualification for pastor, elder, these are qualifications that far exceed what it takes to be a president. There are, you know, rigorous qualifications to be a preacher of the word of God. Not that Joe Biden is applying for the position of elder, but even still, if you're going to give him your pulpit on a Sunday morning, you're essentially signing off on the man's qualification to speak to your people. So is Joe Biden a man of, you know, who's above reproach in the community? Of course not. Like I said, he has a litany of assault allegations. Are his children submissive to their parents and like fearing God? No, his son's a complete derelict pervert drug addict, right? I mean, you could go through the litany of 1 Timothy and does he meet any of those? 
No. I mean, outside of maybe he's not new to the faith, but if his faith that he's not new to is incorrect, <laughs> then it doesn't make a difference. Like that just screams, I don't take this serious. And we're far more about, you know, celebrity status, butts in seats than we are about preserving the truth and the power of the word of God. And whether that's Donald Trump, you know, even, I mean, I would be leery, even to the extent we see Tim Tebow going to churches. What's the point of you having Tim Tebow here? I mean, on a Sunday morning, that should be a pastor's Super Bowl. You get to have a Super Bowl every week. You think Tom Brady's benching himself in the Super Bowl just so somebody else can have another turn at it? And again, not out of a pride thing, but like you obviously feel called to be a pastor because you understand the gravity of the position and what's being talked about. And to say, but again, if you wanted to do a Tuesday afternoon, something, a Sunday evening, we're going to come together and have kind of a town, but this is a Sunday morning service and you a need Christmas to know the service person. with Donald Trump. Are you kidding me? It's like you're entrusting someone to the care of your flock. It's like comparing to what I just have somebody because they're a celebrity come and babysit my children for a week and we go on vacation. I've allowed Bill Clinton to babysit my 14-year-old daughter for weekends while I was away. Because there's spiritual, like this, yeah, speaking at a church, that's a big deal. That's the spiritual food, the message, Um, their spiritual health is vital. And when you compare that to your own children, like what kind of person would you let take care of your, your own children? You'd want a background check. You'd want to know their history. Like what kind of a person are, are they? What's their character? Like that's a big deal. So with, you know, your flock, you are to take care of them. Those are your children in the faith. You're going to let anybody just kind of message are they bringing? It's wild. Um, So again, our point of bringing this up is this needs to stop. I think. You know, and if you were in a congregation and you all voiced your opinion on this, now for Senator Reverend Dr. Ralph Warnock, I don't think it would matter. Um, but in your local church or whatever, you know, if you guys were saying, hey, man, we don't want just somebody to come up here to get themselves more Twitter follows. And, you know, maybe you get a few more people that aren't really Christians and don't care about God to show up here because the president's talking. Like, no, man, we need to be serious about what we're doing here. And I think this is just really, it shames the church. I mean, when I see it, it does not make me think great of Ebenezer Baptist church. Um, And again, maybe they don't care, but you know, I think in a time like today where wickedness is just all over the place, people need more than ever, especially because they're not engulfed in religion outside of church for most of them. All you have is Sunday morning to try to speak the truth of God's word and bring them to a solid understanding. And you're just wasting that. You know, a Donald Trump on Christmas, that's when more people than ever come to church and you want them to hear Donald Trump, who's unfit for that pulpit, to deliver a message when that should be a pastor. I mean, you're never going to have a better audience than Christmas, you know, like, I know, but you just give it away for popularity and fame. 
Right. And boys, I, I think it's shameful. So, all right. Do you have any last thoughts on any of the news topics that we've discussed? Biden, Mr. Universe? No. No? Yeah, all right. let's not well, give it let's any more of our time. Let's roll on into our Bible topic. So we're on assurance of salvation, uh, point number eight here. And if you haven't listened to the previous seven points uh, that we've or episodes that we've discussed, our assurances of salvation, you can go back and find those on the show catalog. And we encourage you to go listen to them. I think they're good. Also, go give a listen to our road to salvation um, while you're there as well. Oh, and while you're there looking, why don't you take some time to subscribe, follow, leave us a nice review. Uh, all of those sorts of things really help out. We are slaves to the algorithm. And, uh, you know, that's how we all, I guess, eat nowadays is likes and follows and reviews. And mm -hmm. so we would be happy with that. So, all right, point number eight here. And just to mention, all of these points of salvation, they come from the book of First John. So if you're just on your own, you don't have time to listen to all of them, go read the book of 1 John, and they're all in there. And we will make known here, as we have before, the one point that you won't, well, you won't find a lot of points in there, but one specifically you won't find is say the sinner's prayer. Did you say the sinner's prayer at some point? Well, then you know you're saved. He doesn't mention that. So uh, if you're looking for that one, it ain't there. But do you want to read point number eight, honey? All right, 1 John 2, 29. Chapter 2, verse 29. <laughs> if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And I was just thinking how our culture says we can't judge others. I mean, even people in the church say that. You can't judge. You don't know. But right here, we have scripture telling us that we can and how to know if someone has been born again. So not just for ourselves. We can know for others as well. Um, we don't want to say you are for sure going to hell because I don't see evidence, but you want to share the gospel with them because maybe they didn't hear it and they thought they did, which is very common today, especially. So this is called discernment, knowing right from wrong. And we have to read the Bible to, to be able to discern. So Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked on this show before at length about judging, you know, people don't like that word, but we're called to be discerning of yeah. others, if you want to call it that, you know, the Bible is clear about that. So, and here he says as well, right? Everyone who practices righteousness, well, how do you know if someone's practicing righteousness? Well, you're going to judge the tree, right? As Jesus tells us, judge the fruit. Um, and if it's bearing good fruit, it's bearing righteousness. Well, then you can at least feel confident that maybe the Holy Spirit resides in them. If you judge that tree and there's no good fruit, they're not bearing righteousness. Well, you can at least have pause and it's be worth the conversation. I think it's James chapter five tells us that, you know, if you bring a brother back, um, you know, from basically sin, I'm just paraphrasing here, but if you bring them back from sin, you could have saved their soul. Well, mm -hmm. how would you know to bring them back from sin unless you were judging what they right. were doing, whether it was righteous or not? So you have to do that. Um, their souls depend on it. So, but, you know, as far as him saying here, 
Uh, he says, if you know that he is righteous, or you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So we practice righteousness really by imitating Jesus in our daily lives. That's how we practice righteousness. You know, we uphold his commandments, loving as he loved and turning from sin. You know, so again, we have to kind of hit this point, but our lives should be looking more like Christ as we grow. Um, this is the sanctification process, and this is the main goal of the Holy Spirit in us, is to sanctify us and make us look more like Christ as we progress through this thing called our Christian faith. Um, so that's, again, that's the process of sanctification. And if you get saved, let's say you said your sinner's prayer, you got stirred into a frenzy and you walked down the aisle and you said a prayer, but then a year goes by, five years, 10 years, and you're doing all the same sinful things. You're living the same shameful, sinful lifestyles. You know, you're continuing to choose the world over Jesus at the same rate. That's a strong indication that the Holy Spirit is not in you. Again, that's why you have these assurances. So if you're, oh, I said a prayer in 1985, 30 years later, I look basically exactly the same. You should go, oh, I don't really know if that righteousness is uh, bursting out of me. I don't really choose righteousness very often. And the same thing for the people around you. They'd be like, hey man, you're still shacking up with all those girls. You're still hooking up you know, sexually with all these people, you're still a drunk, you're still whatever, robbing, stealing, killing, all these things. I don't think the Holy Spirit's in you, um, just based but on the they evidence. they have free will. <laughs> yeah. So we do yeah. have free will, and it leads us to sin. Yeah, you have a free, you're free to serve God if you're born again. You're free, you have a free will, but you're only free to sin. Yeah. So you know. Isaiah 55, I have here verse five or verse 10 through 11. And it says, just speaking on the idea of sanctification, right? And if you're born again, you're going to begin to show the evidence of righteousness. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and his word is working in you and through you, you will not stay the same. Uh, that is a great sign, assurance, if you want to call it that, of your salvation. Um, and a great reason to give you pause if that water, that word has gone out from his mouth, but there has been no growth. Well, then you can be sure that either God's a liar or the spirit's not in you. I would err on the side of the spirit is not in you. And then I would repent and I would call on God anew and yes, open up that Bible. I just love the illustration of like a prisoner. The gate is open. Supposedly, if you've been set free, the gate is open. You're shouting, you've been set free, you're saved, but you're staying in your prison cell because that represents the sin you like to do. You want to stay there. So 
like I've said before, whom the son sets free is free. They are not, Jesus doesn't un unlock the door and save you, but leave you still with a hard heart that rejects him and doesn't obey his commands to live righteous, to come into the light. So I just think that that imagery is really helpful in grasping. Yeah, I think if so. you've been if set free, you, you free. walk out and you yeah. want to, and you want to follow Jesus. Who just opened this door and set me free? Oh, that man over there. Follow him, get to know him because he just paid the price for you to be set free. And you're not going to follow him. You're going to stay in your prison cell and ignore right. him. And that's the part of sanctification. He doesn't just open the cell. He actually leads you out of the cell. He leads you. He's a shepherd. So again, if you haven't <laughs> left the, sh the cell, yep. it's because the Holy Spirit isn't there to lead you and out. And his sheep follow him. They know his voice and they follow him. Yep. Yes. So that is our eighth assurance of salvation. If you know that he is righteous, mm -hmm. you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. So do you have any last thoughts here on anything we've discussed before we roll into our sermon recommendation? Uh, no, we can go ahead. All right. So our sermon recommendation, very short. It's about a minute and a half long, two minutes long, but it's uh, one of our favorite uh, preachers, Vody Bauckham. And it's just a short clip on the consequences of feminism. It looks like a young Vody there. Very young Vody, <laughs> very old video. But it's just a quick little video that talks about the importance of biblical roles in a family, in a marriage, and just really what, again, the consequences of feminism are and how dangerous it is when we sort of give ourselves over to it. So about two minutes long, I encourage you to go give it a listen. And uh, yeah, I think you'll be blessed because of it. You know, Bodhi speaks sort of the hard truths a lot of times that we need to hear. Um, so we encourage that. But otherwise, that is all we have. We will be back on Monday with our daily devotionals. We're still going through the Gospel of Luke. So come check those out, five-minute daily devotionals. And then next week, uh, we will be back discussing... Uh, assurance of salvation number nine. And just as a little bit of forward looking here, we, after we finish our 10th assurance of salvation, our plan is going to be sort of discussing a book that we have called Knowing Sin. So our plan is to kind of go into that and just start really looking at sin, uh, trying to understand it and what it does in our life and that sort of thing. So that's probably going to be our Bible topic going forward. Um, just sort of discussions on the chapters in that book. Um, and then always, of course, whatever the world throws at us. News-wise, we'll see what happens, but that's going to be the plan. So two more episodes of Assurances of Salvation, and then Knowing Sin is going to be going forward. So if that sounds at all interesting to you, make sure you're following us, subscribe in whatever platform you're on so you don't miss those. But otherwise, we'll see you guys on Monday. God bless. God bless.